we're in the series, See What God Can Do Through You. But if you're just wanting God to do something through you and there's not a purpose for you allowed for God to do it through you for, it doesn't matter what God puts in you, you will not be fulfilled. And the problem with a lot of us is we haven't taken enough time. We want God to do things to us. We want, and God will. I mean, the things that God will do through you are limitless and countless. But there has to be a purpose. And the purposes come out of positioning. I can take this ladder and I can go up and down and up and down and up and down on it as many times as I want to. But if it's not in the right position, when I get to the top, there'll be nothing to do. And when I get to the bottom, I'll be right where I was. If I get to, so there's got to be a position connected to your purpose. All right. And so we've been on this series, Ephesians 3.20, you know, and it says, I know you can do abundantly above all that I've ever thought or asked or even imagined, the Bible says, according to the work within me. Joe, can we read that one real quick? Now my ladder's right in everybody's way. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. And then comma. Do you know how you pronounce a comma in church? There's a few of us. We can have fun this morning. This is how you pronounce, this is how most churches pronounce a comma in church. They say, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. ah, Abundantly, according to the power that works within us. ah, Go ahead. That's why you pronounce a comma in church, all right? But that's church comma. I'm, I'm used to not do that, but uh, I, well, Jennifer's gone. We got a long ride after church. I'm going to be in trouble. We'll go back. He wants to do a great work in us according to the work that he does in us. And so what we've been on, I know I'm saying God has got such a great plan for our church. As a matter of fact, what he gave me Last week about where we are and what we're doing just blew my mind to the point that I called that and just laid it all on him. And um, I'm telling you, good things are coming. But we're not going to do it without God. And so that's where this is going to come out of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the way people encounter God was, we've talked about it for a few weeks, they built altars. And in the Old Testament, altars were physical things. And in Exodus 20, it says that we are to build an altar out of earth. And so it says, but you can't build it out of stones that have been cut or hewn because it's not going to be a work that you do. You can't work your way into being used by God. You can't work your way into being accepted by God. You can't work your way. You can't be good enough, long enough for God to accept you. It's grace. And God's given you everything in you to be used by him, but you, it's going to have to happen at an altar. There has to be an altar moment, and what an altar is, is a divine moment that you encounter the supernatural, where humanity meets divinity, where God touches you at a moment. In the Old Testament, it says, build it out of earth. All right, We were built out of earth. In the New Testament, the Bible says that our hearts... It says the sower went out to sow seed, and when he threw seed, the seed fell on the, on the grounds, the four different types of grounds. And this is what the Bible said. The disciples said, we don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus said this, the seed is the word, but the soil is your heart. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, they had to actually physically build an, a physical structure. In the Old Testament, I mean in the New Testament, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, our hearts are the altar. Now then it goes on to say this. 
And I love it how it says it in Exodus 20. In verse, pull it up if you don't mind, Joe. Verse 20, verse 22, and we'll read to 24. But it says these aren't on his notes. I'm sorry, I'm messing him up there, a man short. Hey, anybody in the church got a, a, a techie personality? Man, we are lacking greatly in our sound because we've added so many things up there now that I need people that have a, a, a heart to to be able to do things technically. Joe and Daniel are running from computer to computer to computer to computer, and Jerry's running all that. It's a, we need people to help up there. And you don't understand the power of what that is because that area right there can affect the rest of the church. And a great, they, that, that, is probably, that is probably more of an important position in this church than here on this stage. Because if we do everything right on the stage, but everything is not being able to be manned because we don't have enough hands up there, then everybody out here is affected by it. How many of you guys have recognized that and felt that before? All right, it's true. That's probably the strongest, most powerful seat in the church, especially in modern-day church nowadays. And so if you have a call, if you feel like God could use you, Joe and Daniel, they need you. Wave at them, Joe and Daniel. Let them see you. They have worked hours. If you know how many hours they were here this weekend, I mean, they were here more hours than I was, or even probably double what I was, trying to make these things happen. And think about it, I'm not asking you for all those hours. What I'm asking you for is the same hours you're already investing into where you're at now, but doing it in a way that will far out, out seed our reach. So if, if God's laying it on your heart to be up there, they need you. We need you. And I'm telling you, it is a more powerful spot in this church than this pulpit. Because they have the power. If you've been a part of 310X, they have the power to shut down what's going on up here like that. <laughs> you get to 10 minutes on 310X, they shut down. By the way, wasn't 10X good last week? You did a great job. Man, and I'm so proud of Katrina. Man, we just got to see a brief moment of the freedom ministry she's launching here. Wow, how powerful. And then Tanya knocks it out of the park, even though her family's struggling and going through the death of an uncle and things. Y'all did a great job. 310X is coming up next month. So if you've got a heart and you want to speak, that's where you jump in and start on board. All right, but um, jumping on in to say, um, right now, now, um, are we having Spanish church tonight? Yes, we are. I almost missed that announcement. <laughs> By the way, we're having Spanish ministry tonight at 5 o'clock. I like Sundays where we can let our hair down. If I'd have known there wasn't, it was going to be us, I wouldn't have put as much gel in mine today. But um, tonight's going to be powerful. George is preaching. And Spanish ministry is one of my favorite times to get to be. I've only got to be in one or two lately, but I get to watch it every week. And George... I tell you, I believe we got the greatest Spanish. You say, well, Cricket, I don't speak Spanish. It's okay. He speaks in English. He actually has an interpreter that speaks in English, uh, Spanish for him. So please come out tonight at 5. That's that, okay. Well, it's that we're in the in Old Testament. They actually had to build a place, and it had to be natural. It couldn't be superficial. It couldn't be built for beauty. It had to be built by what God had given. And then the Bible said this. It says, well, I'm going to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, 22. And then the Lord said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, a god of gold or a god of silver, you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name and I will, everybody read that last part with me, come to you 
and bless you. The reason why God wanted us to build an altar was not to control us. It was so that he would have a place in our lives to come to us and bless us. And so here in the Old Testament, they had to do it physically. In the New Testament, we're the altar. Our heart is the altar. And when you bring your heart before the Lord, the intention to what God's plan for you is, is his plan is for him to come to you not to judge you, not to chastise you, not to slap you on the head, not to, but it is, the Bible says here, to bless you. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, not of evil. Plans to give you a future. Plans to give you a hope. God has good things for you. Now, the thing about it is, we talked about this last week, and I don't have time to get back into it. A lot of people build altars, and don't mind building altars, and coming to church, and being present, but... Just like the tribe of Gad, the Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they tried, the Bible says they came in, in Joshua 22, and they built an altar, and it actually says an impressive altar. And they said, and they said among themselves, we will not sacrifice on it, but we will use it as a memorial, as proof that to our children that we serve the Lord. In other words, they wanted it to be for show. And any time you try to make your Christian walk or your relationship with God simply out of show, you miss the whole purpose of why God's given it to you. And so I told you last week, today we talked about last week the, the importance of obedience. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. You know what I'm saying? You can sacrifice all day long, but if you're not willing to be obedient to what God's asking you to do or calling you to do, then the sacrifices are of only of little value. Obedience always must be done first, but we're not going to go back in. Today I'm going to pick up on the word sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, they had to take something that was of great value. Spotless sheep, one of their prize oxen, one of their firstborn. And the Bible says they would have to bring it to the meeting place of God. And they would have to take it and they would have to kill it. They would take it and they would strip its skin off. And there was a whole procedure that went into it. They would cut it open and they would take the organs out and separate them. They would take the fat, which was the best part, give it in the place of the Lord. Then they would take it and they would lay the meat up on the altar and the fire of the Lord would consume it. And if it was an altar of value, if it was their best, then the Bible says God would receive it. Now you have to understand the principle of the altar is nothing ever leaves earth, heaven, unless something first leaves earth. All right, well, you need to prove that in the Scripture. The Bible says we have not because we what? Ask not. If you're not asking God for something, God does not answer prayer. You must pray to get a prayer answered. The Bible says what I bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What I loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. My actions on earth affect what God can do in my life from heaven. And so in the Old Testament, they had to lay offerings and sacrifices on the altar. And it was a hard time. You've got to understand. It was a hard time because they had to bring their best and they had to bring what was living to the altar and then they would kill it. So it cost them a great deal. Then they would lay it on the altar and God would get it. Now, to me, I've got to be honest with you, that would have been a hard time for me to serve because I'm just outright selfish. There's a lot of times I don't want to give. A lot of times I don't want to, I don't want to offer my stuff. But the awesome thing about it is obviously God knew me well because he had me born in New Testament time instead of Old Testament time. And so what happens now that I come in the Old Testament, they had to bring something living to the altar. 
give it to God in the New Testament because Jesus has already paid the price for our sin. In the New Testament, the Bible says we're to bring our dead things that we have in our lives to the altar and we give them to God. And instead of us bringing living things to the altar and they be consumed and killed, then we bring our dead things to God and He consumes them and we live. That's how you got saved. You brought your dead self to the altar and you gave it to the Lord. And when you gave it to the Lord, He in return gave you a new life. You were born again. So I love the power of grace at work in our life because I got to be honest with you, there's not a lot of living things I have in my life before Jesus accepted them and caused them to function. I mean, I couldn't be happy. I couldn't find purpose. I had frustration and this is the way it works. Everything that your greatest headache, you should bring to the altar. And when you give it to God, God will bring it about to be your greatest blessing. Everything wrong with me became right with me when I put it on the altar. Anytime I try to take it back off of the altar, it becomes my problem again. That's where they say your greatest strengths can become your greatest weakness. Anytime I want to come and get my life back and live my way, God will let me pull it off that altar, but I can mess it up real quick and I'll find myself running back to the altar and trying to get it back up there in a horrible shape again. And then there goes God again. You say, well, how do I know what I give God he will bless and make better? Because the Bible says that when we put things on the altar, it's consumed by fire. And when the fire comes, it says he gives us beauty for ashes. Your greatest mess when you give it to God He has the power and ability to turn it to your greatest blessing. I can look back at my greatest struggles and my greatest hardships, and when I was able to fully give them over to God, now they become my greatest testimonies or the greatest parts of joy or the parts of gratefulness in my heart. You know, and so understanding the power of the altar now, though a lot of times, though, in modern-day church, what happens to us is this. We become like those three tribes that just get close enough to God that, like, they got close enough to the Jordan. They don't want to go all the way over and get what God's got for them. They think, this is good enough. Because over here, we can live by our own rules and our own life. But we're close enough to what God promised us. We can look like we're serving the Lord. And those three tribes, if you remember, we talked about it last week, the tribe of Gad, through history, they became powerless. Their children were demonically oppressed. They were working for a governing body and having to raise pigs that they never should have even been around. They were, they were dominated and overpowered by the enemy. You want to live a, a powerless, oppressed life? You don't. You move your play, life to a place where you say, this is good enough, this far as I'm going, and you decide that sacrifice doesn't have to be made before the Lord. And that's what will happen. The next one is the Reubens. The Reubens there, they were the lost tribe of Israel. They just disappeared in history. They, lost, they were just lost. They, just, they, they never fulfilled their destiny. And then there was the tribe of, half the tribe of Manasseh. They were seen when Gideon showed up and he says, I am the smallest of the tribes and I am the smallest of the families and so you were weak. How many times in your Christian walk have you lived a weak life? Like Paul said, uh, that thing I don't want to do, I can't keep myself from doing it. So I just find myself living, have one foot in and one foot out all the time. And I just can't get power and overcome what this thing is destroying my life in. But that is not God's plan. God's plan was for them to do it God's way. And they were to build altars and they were to give sacrifices on it. So today I'm talking about sacrifices. It's not going to be real fun, but hopefully you'll get the point what I'm talking about. Because, see, when, when you realize that my life... It's not about acceleration or going forward. It's about positioning. And when I position my life in the right place, then purpose comes in and God causes me to be able to excel and go forward. Because see, you're not made to just be successful. 
As a matter of fact, he says you were called more than a conqueror. You were called to be more than just successful. I mean, there are sinners that are successful, but they're empty. There are sinners that are successful, that are hollow. There are sinners that are so unfulfilled that they're having to go from relationship to relationship or to get on the Internet and look at things that just try to appease a feeling that only God can. Do you know why you can't get fulfilled in anything but God? It's because you're a spirit. You were created by God, a spirit. And when you were created by God, a spirit, you came out of God. And so there's this, always this longing, always this yearning on the inside of you to get connected back to where you came from. It's, always, it's like when you plant a tree. If you plant a tree in a shade, that tree, every inch that it grows, it will be bending its way no matter what it has to bend around or through to try to get into the presence of the sun. That's what your life is. You plant a, tr- a tree over in the shade, and that thing will bend into a 90-degree angle to get into the presence of the sun because that's what it was created to do. Every Nothing in your life will work until you get to the understanding that you were created by God to be connected to God, to experience a God, and then you'll be used by God. That's why you have to understand that. And the way God encounters us is through altars. The way, God, well, the way altars qualify us are by the sacrifices we place on them. Because an altar without a sacrifice is just a memorial or a statue that there's no power. Or anything. And I've got to be honest with you, I've been a part of churches for a long time. And I've been, in, I, I've been to churches that were built as just memorials. I would go into services and I would never feel the presence of God. I pray that we never become a church that just is a church because it's a church and people go to it because they're just not taught or told you need to go to church on Sunday. I want to be a church that's built as an altar that when we come, we bring sacrifices before the Lord and the power of God comes in. He receives our sacrifice and then he blesses his people because that's what his intent is. And so talking about what we're, we're doing i want us to you know you, you want everybody wants to go what they go where they were created to go or do what god created them to do but what you got to understand if you're going to do that you got to be willing to do what god wants you to do when you get there everybody wants to succeed everybody wants to go forward everybody wants to climb up but you got to understand your positioning is connected to your power i'm going to read a story now that's going to get into the the understanding of a, of a church gathering or even church life. But we're going to visit several people here. You've probably heard this story preached many, many times. But where we're going to go is, this is my understanding of what the kingdom of God should be like. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, it says this, And while he sat at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, how would you like that for that to be your reputation? We're, just, we're going to jump right into the very first guy in this story. It says, now they were gathering at a house of Simon the leper. Joe, you going to be able to bring those up? Uh, Mark 14, verse 3 through 9. It says, now, it says, as they, 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 while they gather at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, this guy obviously wasn't a leper anymore. Because if he was still a leper, people couldn't gather at his house. You understand the laws of lepers. If you had leprosy, you had to leave your family, leave the community, leave where people live. You had to get out into a place that was basically uninhabitable because you were considered unclean. So the Bible says here that they were, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. So obviously if these people were at this house, that tells me this. At one point, 
he was a leper, but now we find him in this story that he's no longer a leper. He's obviously been healed, or people couldn't be at his house. Now, you need to understand this, and this is one of the first points of kingdom of God. You need to understand what you were, you don't have to continue to be. See, he was a leper, obviously, but he was no longer a leper. Why? We'll find that out in a minute. But there should be, in the kingdom of God, there should be a time of transformation in your life. What you used to be, you should, the longer you stay in the kingdom of God, the longer you will be in connection with Jesus, the longer you've had a relationship with the living God, at some point, there should be a change that happens in you. What you were, you're no longer that anymore. You, what you, what you had, what the world had made you, what circumstances had gotten on you, what situations you'd been through, you may come in sick, but the plan of God is for you to come out healed. Now, we got a bad problem as Christians in church is keeping even miracles labeled wrong. What I mean by that is this. We have a bad problem with people like when we tell the story of the prodigal son, you know, that's just the way he was at the beginning. But by the time the story was over, we should be calling him the redeemed son that's been reaching people with his testimony since the day he came back into the house. But see, as Christians, a lot of times we keep the old label. You know, how many times have you heard the message preached on the adulterous woman? That's not who she was. That's who she was, but that's not who she stayed. She became the woman that Jesus accepted and received and forgave and ministered to and sent her out to be completely different than what she came in. But see, a lot of times, we can understand we're not supposed to think that way about others, but the problem is a lot of times we think that way about ourselves. We think, all right, everybody else in the church may be different, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm still the same. So that's, that's the one person I will point out the story. It says, he came and sat at a table. The he's capitalized. We're talking about Jesus is involved in this story. A woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard, and then she broke the flask and poured it out on his head. And there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Going to jump out right there and jump right into the same story in the book of John. Because John gives us a little bit more detail about what happened here. All we found out here in this story right this moment was one, there was a guy that had been sick that God had healed. And he was so excited about it that he was throwing a party. He was invited. He was ecstatic and grateful that God had done this. So when God came close, when there was a chance to actually spend more time with Jesus, the Bible says he hosted a feast at his house. All right? So then he was grateful. But then the Bible says that, we're going to go to John. It's in John chapter 12, verse 1. Same story. So in this story so far, we know there was a leper that was there that had been healed. We know Jesus was there. And we know Mary was there. But there were other people there. All right, so here we come. And then the sixth day before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been healed, who had been, is that, uh, is that, uh, do we shrink it? Do we, it was it was Lazarus who had been raised from the dead, is what that actually, whom he had raised from the dead. I don't know what that word is, part there, I can't see it. There he made him a super, then he made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped it on his feet and hair, and then the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But none of the disciples, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said... Why has this fragrant oil not, uh, oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
He said this, and this he said. Not that he cared for the people, but because he was a thief and he had the money in the box and he used it to take out of what he wanted and what he put in it. Go ahead. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Keep going. We're going to keep reading. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. All right, we're going to stop right there. I want to introduce the next few characters that was in this story. We knew the leper was there. Somebody God had healed and changed their life dramatically. We knew Jesus was there because it was the capital H. All right, we knew that um, Mary was there, the one that broke the oil on her feet. Now we see that Martha, her sister, was there. And Martha was there doing the serving of the Lord. She was getting the meal ready. We know Lazarus was there who was sitting, and it says, and listening to Jesus at the table. So you know what? We got basically fouled up in a nutshell here. We have a worship service. We have a worship service. We have people that came to that were so thankful for what God had done in their life, and they were there, and they were, that was what making the church. We had, we had people that were there serving all over the house, making sure that the party and the dinner was being served. We had people there that were actually sitting in the pews, listening to Jesus. Lazarus was sitting there listening. We had people there that were actually there worshiping the Lord. And then we had the critics. You know you can't have church without critics. And so you had the people there being critical. And I got to be honest with you, when we read this story, we all try to find out which one of these guys we are. But nine times out of ten, I'm just going to be honest with you, I find myself as being one of the disciples. Because this is what my mind tells me a lot of times. If I don't understand it, obviously they're doing it wrong. I don't know about you. But I found myself there a lot of times. Something would be going on in a church service or something would be going on in a thing and I was, something would be doing and something I'd be like, you know what? That's a little weird over there. They ought to be doing it more like me instead of like that. Or you know, they ought to be doing it like you know, normal church should be done. But I get, just to be honest, that's normally where I find myself. Not meaning it in a bad way. I'm not going to steal money out of the church. But what I'm saying is my mindset a lot of times because I don't understand something going on I will judge it as being it should be done, not necessarily wrong, but it should be done in a different way. And the reason that is, is because mentally, you will never be able to wrap your mind around sacrifice and make sacrifice make sense. Every person in this story was giving great sacrifice. Simon the leper, he obviously... Spent days getting this house ready. How many of you women are in here would let somebody come over to your house if you hadn't spent time getting it ready? Absolutely. Jennifer, she will have cleaned the house spotless. I'll come into the house be spotless. Say, hey, Jen, can I have a couple guys over? No, I need two days' notice to get the house ready. She did this spotless. Simon the leper, you got to understand, he had somebody come into his house that had changed his life forever. And this wasn't going to be a casual event, I'm telling you. I know human nature. He would have done everything to make sure everything is right because he knew Jesus was coming. I mean, there would have took effort and there would have took purpose and there would have took all that. All right, then you've got Mary there. Or let's go, that was the leper. Then you've got Lazarus. Now, you've got to understand, Lazarus was the guy that was raised from the dead. If anybody had anything to be thankful for, this man, the Bible said, got sick and he died and was in a tomb. He was stinking for three days. He was bound by bandages. And Jesus called him, got him out of the tomb, unwrapped it. And so Lazarus said, cannot tell me. He hadn't experienced Jesus at a point, laying dead, 
heard his name called and got, and he didn't come down. I believe he was sitting at the table with a notebook and a pad ready. He said, obviously the words that come out of this man's life can change my life to bring me from life to death. I'm going to write down every single word. I see this guy being there doing it that way. All right. Then you see, you know, the, um, you see Martha who is so grateful for what God had done for her family that she understands God has saved my brother and raised him from the dead. And he's coming back into this area. I'm going, she was, she had the work beam in town. She got up and she was serving. She was on the greeter team or on the usher team or in the kids ministry. She didn't care what it cost her. She just wanted to make sure that there was a place that he could come into and touch people at the same way that he's changed my family. I see the sacrifice in her. But then, see, nobody questioned them because those are reasonable sacrifices. We expect people to do that. But see, the Bible goes on to say this, and that's where it says this. It says, when Jesus said, leave her alone, she's doing it for me. I didn't read far enough, but it said this. Jesus said, everywhere the gospel is taught, she will be made a memorial. So I can understand there are sacrifices people make there are reasonable sacrifices people are willing to make. And reasonable sacrifices are what most Christians will do. But if you want to be greatly used by God, you have to move yourself to a place that what you do don't make no sense. Because the disciples that had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus saw the miracles that Jesus done. You would have thought if anybody understood the, the sacri- what a sacrifice could be when he, they saw this girl breaking this box over his feet, they, would, they instantly said, you know, that could be done different. You would have thought they could have understood what she was doing. A box of oil there, is pure nard is what it says in Matthew, came from the Himalayan mountains is what your research will tell you. The cost of it was one year's wages. In one encounter, she brought to his feet one year wages. And so the reason why this was looked at as crazy was because it was more than what somebody else was willing to do. They thought this should be done a different way because real sacrifice makes no sense. Real sacrifice makes no sense. As a matter of fact, coming down here, I don't just preach to you. We do what we believe. And coming down here, we were driving, and I got to be honest with you, when I got Jen and the girls in the car with me, I try to get here the quickest way I can get here. <laughs> before meltdowns happen in the back seat or before they tear up everything in my car. And so I was trying to get here as fast as I could. But we normally come straight across the Mobile Bridge, but I had to go a different way. Because me and Jen the day before had felt like the Lord told us that there was something we had to do on our way here. And so the girls have made this trip with me several times. And they knew that, you know, then when we leave, we go this way. But we, we went nine miles out of the way. I'm not saying we took a big detour, but nine miles out of the way. And when we went a different way than we normally, the first thing the girls said was, Dad, why are we going this way? This ain't the way we usually go. They instantly knew. That's not normal, Dad. Something's going on here. And what their mind was, you're making this trip longer, all right? There's no sense in this. But they didn't know that the Lord had laid on me and Jen's heart to write the biggest check we'd ever written. That honestly is a point that makes me and Jennifer very uncomfortable. Because without writing this check, 
the money being where it is, kept my life a little bit more comfortable. But because we felt God was asking, or, and I don't even know, I can't tell you God asked us. I can say it more like this. We saw an opportunity. We saw an opportunity to move ourselves into a place of sacrificial living. And if we would take this opportunity, this opportunity has the, cha- the opportunity to change me and Jen's life forever. Wasn't an investment, it was a sacrifice. There's no return coming. As a matter of fact, when we drove by and we dropped this check off, I got to be honest with you, the whole way there, I had to keep talking to Jen about, this is a good thing, Jen, this is a good thing, you know, this is going to be a good, because the whole way there, my mom was trying to tell me, this is a crazy thing, Cricket, this is a crazy thing, this don't make no sense, y'all going to hand that away, and we're going to walk away, and you'll never see it again, I got to be honest with you, it makes no, you know it's sacrificial when you can't make your mind get sense on it, and I'm not talking about money, I mean, we sacrifice in a lot of ways, but what I'm talking about, this week was us on money, I had to write a check big enough, and we, we first... First, when me and Jim were talking about it, I said, like, we're going to write this check for this amount because I was comfortable there. I want you to know something. If you're making a sacrifice in your life and you're comfortable, it's not a sacrifice. That's reasonable service. There's a difference in reasonable service, and it says in Romans 12, it says, you know, present your body a living sacrifice. Boom, this whole big thing right there. Living sacrifice. Then it says, present in your body holy and acceptable, which is your reason. In other words, good living is reasonable. But there is another level you can move into. It's called living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you gave something to God and it died. In the New Testament, you give the part of your life that's dead. He makes it come alive. But then it's supposed to live as a sacrifice. And I got to be honest with you. If, if, you're, if you're not in a place in your life where you're doing something that makes you question that you're crazy for doing it, you're not sacrificing I'm not saying it got to be money. Church attendance. Some people think, you're crazy. Why would you drive that far to go to church every week? Because it's my sacrifice. Some people think, why would you go to church three times a week? Because it's a sacrifice. I agree. It don't make sense sometimes. Why would you get out in the rain weather? I'm preaching to the choir, I understand, because you guys are here on probably the worst day of the year to be at church, but you're here, and I want to tell you something. The only way you were here is because there was a sacrifice issue dealing your heart was willing to make. And the reason why you got to live a sacrificial life is because the Bible says this. When you come to the Lord, you're to offer a sacrifice. And when you ask for a sacrifice, God will take your sacrifice and he will bless you. You will never find somebody that is blessed by God that's not living a sacrificial life, a living sacrifice. I want to talk real quick about what that is. We'll come back to some of this in a minute. But what a sacrificial living is, you're living for something bigger than yourself. You living, I I meet people all the time that sacrifice for their children. They say, you know what? These are my kids and I want them to have the best foot forward. So I'm going to sacrifice for my children. You know, that's reasonable. How many guys would say that's reasonable? That's a a good parent thought. And and I want you to know something. Anything reasonable is not a sacrifice. You know, I know some people that will sacrifice for their job. You know, I want my boss to count on me. I want to, I want to, that's reasonable. Anything that's reasonable is not a sacrifice. You're, until you get to a point where you're living unreasonable for God, you have to be willing to live for something bigger than yourself. Church is not an experience. Church is an altar. Your, your Christian life is not a set of rules. It is a relationship. 
And in that comes points where God asks us to do things, i got to be honest with you, that sometimes don't seem reasonable. But because he asks us to do things that aren't reasonable, what he's saying is, if you will sacrifice, I will be able to bless you. Now, I asked Pat if I could. Pat is one of those guys that most of you guys have probably ever, never even noticed he's in here. Because he's a guy that likes to stay in the back. Maybe he's just sitting right up there today. You, you, and I asked him today, could I talk to him about it for a minute? I could name, because I've known Pat long enough now, I could go through over the next two hours and talk about all the sacrifices I know this man's made. But I want to talk about this one. Because I saw a man at his level that is super successful. Pat has a very successful job, very respected in this community. He could, he could commit his life to a million different things. He could make a difference in a million different ways. But over the last five years, I watched Pat give his life up for someone else. He decided that I'm going to live, and he may, he may not have had this normal thought, but an opportunity came up that he would take his entire life and set it to the side because there was somebody that was in a need that he could make a difference in. His dad got sick. Was it five years ago, Pat? Am I right on my numbers, wrong on my numbers? Three years ago. Came down with cancer. And you know, Pat from a big family and brothers and sisters, they like that, but Pat saw an opportunity for him to live for something greater than himself. And... I mean, he may throw a stone at me, I said, but Pat's a man of means that he could have paid somebody to do it. He could have got an at-home care to come in and take the load off his shoulders and do it, but Pat didn't. Pat would get up in the morning and go to the gym. Sounds very selfish, doesn't it? Sometimes I mean, he was doing that for... No. Pat went to the gym so that he would have the strength to be able to pick his dad up when his dad needed him to pick it up. Pat would leave work and go straight out to his dad's place. Dad, Pat would moving me I mean for three years if Pat was not at work to keep supporting his family Pat was either in church or he was with dad and I asked him could I tell you not because he wants glory for this but because I've never seen a man sacrifice his life especially at the level of life he had gotten to in a greater way than I watched Pat do it Pat's father went home to be with the Lord and he had so committed into the sacrificial living for his father. Me and Jim got to eat with him at Banderas just a couple weeks after his death died. And this is what his greatest concern was. I don't know what to do with my life now that my dad is gone, not out of loss, because he had shifted his whole life to living for every moment that his father was here living. That sacrifice. And it wasn't easy and it wasn't tough. And when we see Mary here in this story, everybody else was doing reasonable service. The Bible says, but Mary, she came. And you need to understand something. Sacrifices have expiration dates on them. Sacrifices, timing is of utmost importance when it comes to a sacrifice. If Pat would have waited till next year to lay things aside for his father, his father may not have been there next year. The whole time, Pat was believing for healing, believing for healing. And I don't understand all the workings of God, but I do understand that I know that all things will work together for good for those who love the Lord and God. So, I mean, I'm waiting to hear 
all that path's going to tell us how it came out of all of the sacrifice. But God never asked you to sacrifice in an area. He's not in return willing to change your life to be able to have the more power to change others. Like, like with Mary, it says she gave, and they didn't understand the crazy giving she was doing. But they said, the Bible said this, Jesus explained to them, says, it's just so important that she do it right now. Because, see, there's always going to be areas for you can sacrifice into, but not every area is the same. Not every moment is the same. Pat probably looks back now, and he, does, he can lay his head on his pillow at night without a great regret, and not for one minute, because if he would have just waited another year before he kicked in at that level, he would have missed the moments in the days that he got to be with his father. And I got a father, I understand. Those moments are irreplaceable. And what would have happened? He would have just waited too long. Dad would have went home to be with the Lord. And then he laid his bed at night saying, I wish I would have, I wish I would. Not every moment of sacrifice is the same. And Jesus said this about this lady. He said, leave her alone. One, one, you got to understand, these are the principles of sacrifice. Number one, he said, leave her alone. What she's doing, she's doing for me. You have to live a life for a greater purpose than you. The leper was there because he was grateful. Lazarus was there because he'd been raised from the dead. Martha was there because she was serving. The Bible says Mary was doing what she was doing for him. Do you understand there's a difference? Sacrifice is not obligation. Sacrifice is opportunity. And when you offer an opportunity, when you see an opportunity to do something for God, it has the power to affect the gospel. And who hears the gospel is it? So the time, it says, leave her alone, number one, it's for me. Number two, it says, what she's putting on me has significant difference. Uh, so he says, she's anointing me for my burial. They did not understand the value of the oil that was being put on. But see, that's what they put on rich people that died. He was living, that made no sense to them. Didn't matter, he said, what she's doing, she's doing prophetically. And if she don't do it now, she won't get this opportunity again. Time will pass you by and you will have regrets that you could have been used by God greatly if you pause when God, you have an opportunity. Never said God called her and said, hey, will you bring some of your good oil and pour it on my feet? He never did that. She saw an opportunity. She was, had a heart to sacrifice. She stepped out and did it. Other people didn't understand it. Makes no sense. But to her, she knew I can do something for God. So one, you got to live for something bigger. Number two, you got to give to something bigger. Now, when you say that word give, instantly, instantly people go to money. I'm not preaching money today. I got to be honest with you. The most valuable thing you have in your life is not money. The most valuable thing you have is your time. Your time is the most valuable because it's the thing you spend. You can never get back. Something You give somebody, and I, I've actually begun to understand this now because I don't have a lot of time in a lot of places like I used to have. So I've gotten to where now, Jennifer even tells you, she even gets right back. I don't waste my time with things at times now that I like I used to waste my time with because I understand now that my time is the most valuable. I could give somebody $1,000. I could give somebody 10 minutes. I'll get another 1000 down the road. I'll never get my 10 minutes back. And... So there are seven things in the scripture that God says that we must move into a place of sacrificial giving. Number one is praise. The Bible says that praise is a sacrifice. 
says, give the sacrifice of praise. That's found in Hebrews chapter 13, 15 through 16. It says that our praise is a sacrifice. Now, let me tell you something. Timing of praise determines whether it's sacrifice or not. Because there's some days I feel like praising the Lord. And there are some days that I'm so mad at the situation or frustrated at what I'm going through or so let down and so broken hearted by what somebody did to me that I don't feel like it and I can't hardly make myself physically go through the motions to do it. And if I just praise when I feel like it, that's not sacrifice. But when it's the hardest thing for me to do at that moment, then what happens is not just something, an emotion that I go through, but it becomes something that is a sacrifice that I can lay before the Lord. I make myself go through the motions. I make myself say the words. I make my heart get off of the eyes of this and get my eyes on that. When I make myself do it, although I could have done it maybe the day before and felt like doing it, and it was just normal then, at that moment, it's a sacrifice. And when you can get to a place in a moment, so let me put this before you. If you're not ready to step into sacrificial of any of these areas, this is where you start. Tomorrow or this week, you find yourself in a place where you could feel negative, think negative, speak negative, look at it negative. You're hurt, you're broken, you're offended, you're bothered, you're, you're busy, you're stressed, you're worried. Whatever expression you are except for joyful, you make yourself step out of that situation for a minute. And you close your eyes and you say, God, I'm going to offer up to you a sacrifice of praise. For you are great and greatly to be praised. You take that step in sacrifice and people will say... That's crazy. Sacrifice never makes sense. Well, you got it right. Go tell them off. Praise. Because when you got something you can put on an altar, it gives God a place in return to turn and bless. It says if they will give their sacrifice, I will bless them. If they will sacrifice, I will bless them. I've never met anyone that got themselves to a sacrificial place in their life and they took a step and said, I'm going to sacrifice, that God did not in return blow their socks off. All right, another second place, a place where you can sacrifice. Sacrifice is never easy. It's always messy. It's always hard. Your mind will always tell you. You know it's like when your mind will always tell you there's a something else you could do. There's a better way you could do it, but you know within your heart it must be done at this level. And it's, well, the second one is holy living. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 said this, says, present your bodies to the Lord. For this is a reasonable service, but you're a living sacrifice. Every time, every craving on the inside of you is saying, do this. Your mind is saying, it's okay to do this. But you say, I will not. I will stand and I will say, God, my holy living is more important to me than the feeling that's going to give to me now. It will be tough for a few minutes. It will be messy for a few minutes. Because this is the way temptation comes. It comes on strong. Then it grabs a hold. But if you resist, the Bible says, it will let go and it will reside and it will begin to run. If you will hold on in that minute and say, my sacrifice of holy living is more important to me than acting the way I want to act right this minute, you have laid something on the altar that God can in return begin to bless you for. Number three, doing what's right. Not doing what you can, but doing what's right. Do you understand there's a difference in doing what's right 
Sometimes to do what's right means you get to get walked on. Sometimes keeping your mouth shut when you have a right to say back, or sometimes doing what's right, the Bible says, is a sacrifice. It's in Proverbs 21.3, and it says that by you making the decision to do what's right, you may have a right to do what's wrong, but that's not the right you take. You take that I'm going to do what's right. It's a sacrifice, and that's hard. How many times have you and your wife been in an argument? And you may think you're 100% right. And you know at this moment you have a chance to say, I'm sorry. But it is everything within you. It would take, I mean, it would be, I'd rather take a punch in my face sometimes than to tell Jennifer I'm sorry for saying what I said. Or that I really, this is, when it comes to me and Jennifer, this is usually the way I do it. It's not, I'm sorry for saying what I said. It's usually, because what I said is usually right. It's, it's, I'm sorry for saying it the way I said it. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm, she's always, but, but by me doing what's right at the right moment. Because I want you to know something. The next day when you feel better and you're not as hot and angry and you say it because it's okay to say it, it's not a sacrifice. If it's not hard, it's not a sacrifice. If it doesn't hurt, it's not a sacrifice. If it doesn't carry weight, it's not a sacrifice. Number four is giving. Giving. That's one that just hurts all over. You're just after my money. I'm not after your money. I, and I'll just be honest about the check me and Jeff wrote. It was a sacrifice for me not to give it here. That was where my fight was. My fight was, I'll give it because I 100 fold believe in what we do here. I wanted to write that check and give it here. I also, all right, I was like, all right, don't put it in there. You want me? I, I wanted to give it to somebody, somebody here. Because I know families in this church are struggling. I know some families and what they're going through. And the size of check I just gave was a big enough size that I felt it. You know, and, and I mean, I got to be honest with you. If I, if I don't realize what it was I gave, I would say that was the crazy thing. Because I wanted to give it here. And I wanted to give it to, if I couldn't give it, I wanted to give it to somebody here. But that's not what the Lord was saying. Because then I had a selfish agenda in it. Do you understand? Does that make a difference? I, I kept feeling like the Lord kept telling me, if I do... That's not a fool. That's not as much. Because for me to give it where I gave it, he's a very powerful man. God, I didn't give it to the casino. But what I gave it, where I gave it to was, I gave it, and when I, what I did was when I gave it, I don't get to see the result of it. It's a sacrifice when you don't get to see what it does. Because then I really have to step back in faith. Sacrifices have to take huge faith. And so giving is a sacrifice. Then another very important is service. Serving others is a sacrifice that you can give to the Lord. And I got to be honest with you, there were a lot of people that day at that meeting. And Mary was serving others because there are some personalities that just serve others to serve others. I mean, that's what they are. They're busy people and they like to do things. But see, Mary, what she did... She served Jesus. And if you're serving where you like to serve because you like to serve there, it's not a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice when you'll do it for Jesus. And then that may not be your favorite thing to do. You, you keep in the nursery or teaching the children's church. You may hate that. But I've got to be honest with you. 
You can never sacrifice for Jesus wrong. And I tell you this, if you'll step into a, a life of sacrifice, what God will do, God will step into a life of blessing like you've never been in before. I have no idea what's coming out of the detour I took the other day. But I found myself doing this. I, me and Jennifer, we pay our tithes. I found my, we, me and Jennifer, we sow seeds. If you're around us, you know. I mean, I don't mind. If I've got cash on me, I give it. I, I love, I love to be a cheerful giver. I love to be a generous giver. That's what I love to do. That's because I believe in what we are. But I got to be honest with you. I looked at our life and realized I'm not sacrificing because what used to be a sacrifice for me is no longer a sacrifice to me. Because it's like when you go to the gym and you pick up 80 pounds. Well, let's be truthful. When you first go to the gym, I was picking up 20. And, you know, you go there and you do 20 and you do 20. There's a lot of pain involved in that 20 for a few weeks. But then it's like all of a sudden the resistance that that 20 had is gone. It's not that it got lighter. It's that you got stronger. And the muscles that you now have developed, that weight will keep you at that level. So you're never going to be at a place in your life where you have sacrificed enough. Sacrificial giving, sacrificial living always has another level to go. You haven't come far enough. There is more God is calling you to do. There's greater levels God's wanting to take you on. He wants to position you in the right place so he can use you in a great way. And so what happens is this, I got to be honest with you. I have given this much in an offering to this church before. I've never given this much in a check to someone else that's not connected to us because it wouldn't have been sacrificed for me. Because now I've got to be honest with you, this is who I am. And it wouldn't have hurt me the way it hurt me. And you say, is God into cutting? Does he like to hurt people? No. No. But he knows this. That if you really want to have a life worth living, it's going to take you moving to a place of living sacrifice. And if you will live a sacrifice, if you will make it in your marriage, if you decide, you know what, I don't care if she walks all over me, I'm going to love her the way Christ loves the church. And you live that sacrifice, because that was a sacrifice, you have the best marriage you've ever had. Hands down. If you go to work and say, you know, I'm not just going to do this job, but I'm going to work this job the way Jesus, the Bible says, everything I do, do it as unto the Lord. I'm going to, if I work this job as if God was fixing to sign my check this Saturday Friday, and the way you turn that out, it will change, that will be a living sacrifice. God can bless that. God blesses sacrifice. He's not, he's not a wife beater. That's not what he does. All right. Now, packaging, and the, this is the reason, and I'm done. But packaging matters. Which one of these had you rather drink? The coat? They're both the same content. But which of them had you rather drink? Here's a Coke. And this is a Mardi Gras Coke. He's got his shirt off, don't know where he's been, probably doing things he shouldn't be doing with people he shouldn't be doing it with. That's a Mardi Gras Coke. It's a Coke. Right. But just looking at it, you don't know which one. I mean, it's real simple. I'd rather have this one. You know why? Packaging matters. And, you know, Oreos pays a lot of money for that blue package that they put them cookies in. Because if they put it in a brown paper bag, you might not take it off the shelf. They even go as far to put a little easy access door right on the very top of it so you don't got to rip open like rich crackers. You can just pull it open and get all you want. All right? Sacrifice is the way that Christ packages himself to the world. Sacrifice is the way 
that Christ packages himself in your marriage. That's why it says, husband, that husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church, giving himself. Because, see, God, has, God, gives, God wants to present his... Now, my question is this. If someone was to meet you today, do you package Jesus in a way that they would accept him as their personal Savior? If the only person way they met Jesus was through you, if that not be so, then there's a packaging problem. Because sacrificial giving is sacrificial living. And the sacrifices you make on the outside, what those are, that's the package God puts in. And so if you don't understand, the Bible says says that that we are to give our lives. When when we ask Jesus, we give our lives. We say, and what happens is we become a light. You got to know this. There, there are two judgment seats. This is theological. This is all theological. There's going to be two judgment seats that you're going to stand before. One, you're going to stand before the throne of judgment, the white throne of judgment. And these are going to be two questions you're asked when you get there. One, what did you do with Jesus? Did you accept him or did you reject him? Every single person will stand before that and get that question asked to them. And then what you're going to have to decide is yes. But then you got to understand, they keep a book on it. <laughs> right? So it don't matter what you say at that moment. It matters what you do at this moment. And if you'll do it at this moment, when you get to that moment, your name will be in a book, the Bible says. And the Bible says in that book, your name will be there. So, but there's another book. And it's every, every sin and every trespass and everything that will be written in a book. But what happens is, the Bible, says, the Bible says that the moment that your name is written in that book, this book gets washed away. So when you get there and there's two books and both of them have writing in it, you're in trouble. All right? But then the Bible says this. The Bible says you can't do anything to get your name in the first place. It's grace. God gave it to you. So you don't get salvation by works. You get salvation by grace. But you need to understand, once you get salvation by grace, next thing that kicks in, four works. You're saved by grace so that God can use you to do great things. You will stand before another throne. In Revelation 20, it talks about these books. The land book of life and the book that carries your trespasses. But then the Bible says this. Not only will you be asked what you did with Jesus, but what did you do with what I gave you? A lot of people don't want to hear this part. But God's going to ask you what you did with what I gave you. See, a lot of people want to accept Jesus. Then they want Jesus to carry them through life. Carry them to blessing. Carry them to prosperity. Carry them to healing. You remember the footprints on the sand? How when you were walking on the sand and there were one footprints. Let me read you a reversion of it, okay? said this. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord. But mine were not alone on the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared. And I asked the Lord, what have I here? Those prints are large and round and neat. But the Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said with somber tones, For miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and you made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith, you would not know. So I got tired and I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time 
when one must fight and one must climb, and one must rise and take a stand, or they will leave butt prints in the sand. Now, I'm going to be in trouble for saying that word butt in church. But you got to understand that this life was not meant to be lived by Jesus. You're giving your heart to Jesus and Jesus carrying you. He's going to judge you for what you did with what you had. All right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, we don't get time to get into it, but 2 Corinthians 5, it says this. You will be judged on your works by fire. So you say, Cricket, how do I live? How do I live? The Bible says in Revelation 22, 12, that you will be rewarded by what you've done here once it passes through the fire. All right, there's two thrones. One is your name in the heaven. Number two, what did you do after your name was written here with what it is that you had for me? How did you use Jesus? And if you didn't live for something bigger than you, if you didn't give for something bigger than you, if you didn't realize that what I do is not for people, but it's for God, and God sees everything that I do, and there's one day going to come a place where I'm going to stand before God, and God's going to say, man, I put you in this situation, I put you in this place, and he's going to take all your deeds and all your actions, not your sins, they were washed away, but he's going to put them in a fire. And the Bible said, that which is hay will be burned up, hay and stubble burned up, but that which is gold and silver will remain said this, it says what is left will become your reward. When you live your life and you give your life for things that last through the fire, you find fulfillment and God can take you higher. A life of sacrifice. So how do you do it? I'm going to say these in just four statements. You live a life, fireproof life. One, you got to do it intentionally. That's it. You got to do it intentionally. It will not happen accidentally. But number one, you got to live your life for who God is. You don't live for your life for what God has done. You live for your life for who God is. What that means is praise is a sacrifice. When they're good, you praise Him. When they're bad, you praise Him. When it's easy, you praise Him. When it's not easy, you praise Him. You praise Him. You live your life for who God is, not for what you're going through. You got to be intentional about living your life for God. Number two, you got to be intentional for where you give your life to God. Everything you have has been given to you by God. Say, okay, you want me to give something I don't got? Nope, 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 nope. Don't give me time you don't have. I don't want your wife's time. I mean, no, I'm not saying me, but this one God, no, I don't want your wife's time. I don't want your kid's time. I don't want your, you know, your job. I, God wants the time that you have. What are you doing with it? I, you know, you want me to give your money? No, 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 I don't want you to give money. I don't, I don't believe in you taking a credit card and giving out of something you don't have. If I couldn't have wrote that check this week, I couldn't have given it this week. Couldn't have been my sacrifice. That would have been ignorant. So you give. Number three, you intentionally serve others. You find a place on purpose, not where you feel led or not where you feel called or not when you think it's going to purpose you. You give your life to others and serve others intentionally. You make the decision to do it. And then number four, you intentionally share Christ. Those are the four things that are going to last through the fire. When you ask somebody, hey, do you know Jesus is your personal Savior? You say, well, Cricket, I don't know what to say. I'll tell you exactly what to say next. And they say, no. I say, man, let me tell you how God has changed my life. 
That's all it takes. You don't have to know scripture references. You don't have to know. All you have to do is every single person you know, you intentionally share Jesus with them. That, the Bible says, will make it through the fire. That is living a life of sacrifice. This is what they say. Packaging matters. You got to understand, Jesus chose to wear, wear a suit. They always tell me, if you only have one suit, make sure it's a good suit. I don't even, I've given away almost every suit I own now. Because I don't wear suits anymore. But I'm going to keep one to marry and keep one to bury in. But Jesus could have chose any suit. He started with the Mardi Gras hoax. Then he put his name all over it. What are you doing with your label? What are you doing with your name? And it boils down to this. Sacrifices become the greatest joys of your life. You have no idea on Christmas morning. How I wait. Me and Jennifer haven't bought each other Christmas gifts in probably five years. We could. I'm not broke. We could, but we don't. Because I've got to be honest with you, for the couple months out, we start buying Christmas gifts for the kids. And some people think I overdo it, and I probably do. I don't care what you think. They're my kids. And I'm not spending your money. I'm spending my money. But we, we get so excited on Christmas morning when them kids come in, and their eyes get this big. And they don't even understand at this moment how much it cost or what we had to do to get it. But the look on their face of the joy that it brings of a need that it met, that they may not even have known it was a need at that moment, it was just a desire in their heart. It just transforms my life. I've never sacrificed for anyone I love and sat back and regretted it. Not once. I've never sacrificed for the God I serve and sat back and wished, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. As a matter of fact, in every single area I have ever laid down my life in the relationship with my wife, I have always looked back and wished this. I wish I could have done a little more. Every time I've ever sacrificed with my children, I've looked back and I did not regret, but I said, I wish I could have done a little more. That's reasonable. That's normal. That's what people do. There's never been a time that I sacrificed for the Lord. That when I sat back, I wished I would have done a little more. And the story don't end there, but it ends this. And he didn't empower me the next time I found myself in front of an altar to have the ability to do more than what I had before. you got to understand, the secret of your successful life is for you to live a sacrificial life. You live every moment for the one that gave you those moments. And you give every moment the one who gave you those moments. And you tell every person that you can about the one that did it for you. That sacrifice. So I just want to pray this on you this morning. An understanding. Because see, people matter when it comes to gospel. Jesus said this. He said, he said everywhere the gospel's told, this woman, I'm just using you as a woman, this woman will be mentioned as a memorial. God has called our church in this city to be a church that has the ability to proclaim who Jesus is. And when they come in the doors or they meet us on the streets, it wasn't for show. They don't think it was just a reputation. But they see we're the real 
legitimate thing. We may not be perfect, but we're on our way there because we love God that much. That's what my desire is for us, is that we become a church that God says, you know what? They will get, let me, you want me to tell you the power of a sacrifice? And not every sacrifice is the same. It's not. Do you know what made Samson, I mean, uh, Solomon the most smartest man in the world? Smartest man in the world. The Bible says this. It wasn't that God liked him more than that. The Bible said this. He came to a day and he was going to offer a sacrifice. He was to kill a bull, an oxen. And the Bible says he stepped back and said, you know what? I got a thousand of them. Give him one. That wouldn't be anything. He says, kill a thousand. And the Bible says they slew a thousand oxen at the place where only one had to be given. And the Bible said that sacrifice impressed God so much. He showed up before Solomon and said, you name whatever you want, I will give it to you. If you want riches, I'll give it to you. You want you know, wealth, I'll give it to you. He said, I want wisdom. And that's how Solomon, read your Bible, became the smartest man even in history recorded of the entire planet because it was with the sacrifice. Your sacrifice has to be your best. You need to know this. Sacrifice has to be your best. Let me ask you this. How many people does that bother right now? If I'd preach a whole service like that right there. It is like chalk on a chalkboard, right? Scratching at me. Why? Because that's just not supposed to be like that. You know, when we, when we come to sacrifice and we don't do our very best and give our very best and we allow things to be out of symmetrical and stuff, you understand, it stops our sacrifice coming through to certain people. You got to do it your very best. Cain proved that. Abel said, God, nothing but my best. Cain said, what I have available, I'll do. And the Bible says, God received one and rejected the other. Well, say, I pray that God puts inside of us a burning desire to understand that we don't bring God things to give them to Him for Him to give us something back. We bring our lives as a living sacrifice. We place the parts of our life on the altar before Him that are dead. He causes a miracle to work in them. They come back alive. And then we come off that altar and be everything He made us to be. We want to be living sacrifice. Father God, I ask you right now, if you're here this morning... And you've never accepted His sacrifice. He first sacrificed. If you're not saved, if you're not right with God, simply raise your hand, put it right back down, we'll pray with you first. I don't want to give an opportunity and talk about our sacrifice unless we give an opportunity for you to get take accept God's sacrifice. All right, so everybody say, I'm going to pray. Father God, I ask you to open our eyes and let us see what matters to you. God, you want to make us more than conquerors. It's more than about being successful. It's about being blessed by you. God, blessed by you in our marriages, blessed by you in our families, blessed by you in our jobs, blessed by you in our finances, blessed by you in our worship, in our hearts, in our fulfillment. God, so I say this. Take my life as a living sacrifice. And God, every area that I see that I can give to you, Lord, I ask you to prompt your Holy Spirit to tug on me or to imprint on me or convict me in that area so that I know that is the area you want me to lay before you, so that you can use me greatly in this season. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.